2: Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hey guys, we'll get to film study in just a minute, but I gotta share this with you. You know what that sound is? It's the sound of me opening up my fresh can of Liquid Death. Make sure you guys check out Liquid Death. I love it. I've been drinking a ton of it lately there's something magical about it. Somehow the water in a can just seems colder than any bottle I've used before. Make sure you're checking out Liquid Death. Pick it up next time you're at the grocery store. I love it.
3: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here for part two of the discussion about the offense with Michael Crawford. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Uh, our good friend, uh, Michael at Abukari on Twitter, right? A B U K A R I.
1: You've got it exactly right, Ken.
3: All right. I right. want to tell the story about Abukari again, real quick? <laughs> uh navigator of sorts.
1: Yeah, yeah. For anybody who's interested, and why don't you just use Mike Crawford since that's your actual name? Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm a bit of a history buff, and uh, it's 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 a a legend story, if you will, uh, that I've always liked. uh, An African king, and depending on uh, which one of the which versions of the story that you listen to or you or you read, uh, some say uh, it was him, some say it was his brother. The story is basically that. he got word that there was a land right (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) on the other side of the ocean from Africa. They didn't have it; we call it America at that time, or South America didn't have that kind of name, but uh, that there was a land there and he put together uh, uh, an expedition and decided to sail there and actually see this land for himself. And, you know, the story goes that he did and he ended up staying there. And uh, some people will say that's where like the ancient Mayans and other people descended from. Again, depending on how you, want to get into all that stuff and how you take all that stuff. It's up to you. I'm not here to like preach at anybody, but I've always just thought it was kind of a cool and interesting story. And so, um, I don't spell it exactly the way that he spells it. Um, just, you know, add a little bit of respect there. I'm not trying to call myself a King or anything like that. <laughs> so, uh, but just, just kind of a cool thing, which you know, I, I, I try not to take it too
3: seriously. You know, what, what century was it that, that he ruled? Ooh, that's a good question. um, all right, no, no problem. People can look us up. I'd probably up. say
1: I was, it, was, it had to be like 13, 1400s, somewhere in there.
3: Okay, so we would have beaten Columbus to the new world if if the legend is true. That, that's
1: that's the way the story goes. Okay.
3: All right, fair enough. Uh, all right, well, let's let's go back and, and uh, talk about the Ravens' offense. Obviously, we're, we're, we're having the good fortune to do this after winning against the Bengals, and one of the greatest things to come out of this game was the return of Ronnie Stanley. And more than that, you know, we've seen Ronnie Stanley return a couple of times and not be all that effective. His rookie year against the Steelers had four holding penalties. Last year against the Raiders, he didn't look like Ronnie Stanley at all after missing the last half of 2020. Uh, and then eventually was shut down for the season several weeks later. Uh, but this time, he looked pretty much like Ronnie Stanley, I thought.
1: He did look like Ronnie Stanley, and it was great. <laughs>
3: it was so great to see
1: him back out there. And you could tell he was excited just the way he was coming out of his stance. The way he was moving, might even been oversetting a couple of times <laughs> on some past, but just you know, just you could tell he was just juiced up to be back out there. All of that, right? That you just talked about, how long of a road it's been for him, and you know, people really, quite frankly, doubting his character right. uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but then also to come back in that game and what that game meant early in the season, you know, the, the importance of that game on Sunday night, everything that goes along with that atmosphere. So it just had to be a crazy emotional night for him and for him to go out and, like you said, look like himself, basically, not like a shell of himself or not like a guy, you know, still trying to get back. But I'm not going to say he was, you know, prime Ronnie Stanley, but considering everything that you just talked about, to go out there and look the way that he did and and, and play as solidly as as he did, uh, you got to be really optimistic about that if you're a Ravens fan.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know, you you see the difference in athleticism immediately. You see the ability to mirror is still there in a lot of ways. Uh, you see some of the even the tendencies of how he can negate the difficulties he has with a pass rusher by mirroring, giving ground in order to maintain his mirror. Uh, even some of that was present, and and you know some of the the real. Uh, symbiotic is not the right word, but the, the, the really good understanding that Lamar has about the backside when Ronnie Stanley is there uh, you know, it just makes you feel good about what could happen the rest of the season. We talked a little bit about this in part one, by the way, if you don't, if you're listening to just part two, go back and download part one, yeah, go go get that and make sure you listen to this. Michael's got a ton of things to say. that are very interesting and it's about an hour and 25 minute episode, So I think you'll really love it. Uh, but lots of stuff uh, uh, there, including some stuff about Stanley. Uh, but I, there were, there are a lot of things to really love and I still need to kind of hold myself back. 22 snap performance. If, you know, we, I would not, depending on who the other player was, who would, might've been playing, I wouldn't be real optimistic if people or think much of people who want to talk about a 22 snap performance by necessarily any other player. Um, But, you know, we have our expectations of Ronnie and in this very limited sample size, it seemed to be what we wanted.
1: Yeah. and And look, there's certainly a lot of validity in you know the the be beware of small sample sizes. I, I don't have to tell you, somebody who, who who understands math, but it's been such a long
2: time. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, it's been such a long time, and we we've, we've been in the in the left tackle wilderness, Uh yeah. The right tackle, Just the tackle wilderness uh, for for a little while now. I guess going back to 2020, right after. Right. I mean, obviously Ronnie got hurt, and then after they ended up trading Orlando Brown Jr um it's been it's been rough so to have a guy back who uh was at the time I mean I I don't know that people would even argue this was was probably top five left tackle in the league uh when he was in his prime before his injury um to just have that guy back on the field you know what I mean and and to be moving fluidly and looking comfortable totally different uh by the way in my opinion than he looked in that Raiders game Yeah. yeah he did not look comfortable in that game. And I know people talked about why well, I've watched it. I didn't see him limping or anything like that. If you watch every time that he tried to anchor in that game and see the ability, inability to put any kind of weight on that ankle and brace, you could just tell something wasn't right. And he was out there really just trying to get through. it. Didn't look like that at all uh, in this game. I think it was still probably, there's probably still going to be a little bit of a mental element there for him, like to really sit down on a bull rush and to really drop his anchor on it. Uh, and that's not easy to to do against Hendrickson. By the way, he's a really good pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's probably still going to be a little bit of that. But he did not look hesitant in that way to me, the way that he did in that Raiders
3: No, it looked it looked like a lot of the things that are Ronnie Stanley in terms of maintaining you know good uh, balance. You know, be, be, having not getting way out in front of his front of himself, not uh, over overstretching for things. I mean, Ronnie keeps his feet really well. It gets to level two really well. Uh, to make blocks there, he's one of the few left tackles who was able to consistently make a backside run contribution. Whereas a lot of left tackles need to go to the cut block right away when there's a you know a zone play going to the right side or, or even a run going to the right side where they don't have an easy engagement right off the line of scrimmage, uh, they they can find it very difficult to make a contribution there. Ronnie Stanley always been had the ability to change levels, block that right cornerback. You know, I mean, the guy on the offensive left side, if that's all he can do. Uh, but a uh, guy who can contribute in a lot of ways. Let me, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll toss in the scoring stuff here. Uh, he had only one negative play as I scored. It was a pressure on an inside move from Hendrickson. You might remember it because he blocked him all the way across the pocket behind the other lineman. I, I, I'm really, I don't like to see that because I think that's, there's a lot of injuries happen on roll-up plays and that's a big risk of it happening. But Hendrickson is a good pass rusher and when he beats you to the inside, you got to do that as opposed to letting him get to the quarterback. Lamar was actually kind of, just about to take off to the right as Hendrickson started to become present in the pocket. And so that was a, that was a pressure uh, on that play. Otherwise didn't have another negative event. He had two other uh, losses at the line of scrimmage, both of them of the type that I have mentioned earlier, kind of a a giving a little bit of ground to mirror one was actually on a bull rush um, to uh, uh, ended up being missed blocks, but the ball was out quickly both times uh, on those plays. The Ravens scored, on both of his drives, which is really nice to 10 points. And, you know, we're immediately, and I can tell you, I was doing this on Twitter from my seat. I'm saying, you know, this is, this is now two plays, 10 points for, for Stanley. And, you know, mccarey has been in there for three drives. I think it was at at that point and they had no points on those. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, it was, it was kind of the tale of, of of two situations there. Mm -hmm. So I, Let's see, McCarry, he played left tackle in the Patriots game. Yep. Uh, was that it?
3: Yeah, he, he played there for six snaps against the Patriots. I think he was in the previous week to finish the game, and then he got hurt okay. after six snaps. And then that's when Fa'alele came in, and then he played the entire Buffalo game. Both of those games didn't go well. In fact, McCarry had scored zero points when he went out against the Patriots. And then uh, Fa'alele came in and was, was not good at all. And for the for the second game, you know, Harbaugh was searching around for the adjective to use, and and we got to viable after this, which we talked about a little bit on the first show. But, uh, you know, I I'm very positive on who Daniel Falaleli may be yeah. as an NFL player. He looks like he's come a long way just since training camp. Uh, you know, I th- I, I see positive things about him not do, doing a phantom backpedal, which is something that it should never happen to a tackle. But point of emphasis, he seems to have corrected it. And, and he's now uh, more aggressively engaging that pass rusher and keeping more space in the pocket as a priority. Uh, so I, I, I like that. Um, his, his feet are not terrible. He is a little slow, a little slow on recognition. But I think there's something to really build on there. Once the guy really learns independent hand usage, he's able to punch properly. And maybe the most important thing for a guy his size is he learns the Orbelando Brown trick. Uh, and the the Wagner trick, I really, Rick Wagner, I really associate it with, is being a guy who can push a guy 12 to 6 past the pocket. So yeah. guy beats you to the outside on the speed rush. Not time to give up, not time to hold. Time to push a guy really hard so you push him past the pocket. And at 380 pounds or whatever he plays at now, he's going to have a big advantage doing that against a guy that's more than 100 pounds lighter than him.
1: Yeah, and you can see him kind of, develop that technique almost in games where early mm-hmm. you know sort of earlier in, in some of the early snaps, yeah, a guy might get his edge and he's pushing up high, he's pushing his back. You really got to get a hand on that hip so that you can control him and direct him, like you said, back. You don't want to once you once you got your hands on his back, he's already turned the corner. He's facing the quarterback. You're pushing him towards the quarterback mm-hmm. at that point. So you don't want to do that. You want to get that hand on that sort of low hip area. And now you can push him back more on a more vertical axis away from the quarterback so he doesn't turn the pocket or at least has to run deeper before he can turn now the quarterback can step up and you can see him do that like in the same game like okay a couple snaps before kind of didn't get it exactly where i want to with my hands another couple snaps later i got it looks a little bit better and like you said guys his size guys like orlando brown jr size and i used to always think this uh with orlando brown jr and he, he got he got really good at it and sometimes you don't see it with big guys but guys who are that who have that much mass. And that much wingspan, I think that obviously you're going to mix up pass protection. You're going to use different stances, different techniques, stuff like that. Uh, not stances, but different techniques. I always think those guys, a vertical set is really effective for those guys because you mm-hmm. make the rusher come to you and there's nowhere to go. He's not going to run through you. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's not going to happen, number one. And if you just you know take that two, three, maybe in like a if your quarterback's taking a really like a full seven step drop, maybe you get the four kicks, but it's mostly two or three and make him come to you. You don't necessarily have to turn and open the gate right away to him because now he's got a two-way go. You know, inside, he can go outside, he can do all kinds of crazy stuff. But if you make you stay square, kick back two or three kicks, make him come to you, you're not going to bull rush you. You're too big for that. If he tries to get around you, he's now in your, your zone of influence. You can get hands on that guy, and then you can control what you want to do with him. So once he develops that consistently as a tool, I'm not saying he's going to vertical set every time, but is that kind of like if you if you put it in baseball terms, is that if that's his go-to pitch, whatever your go-to pitch is, if that's it. That's your fastball. Everything else can work off of that. You can develop, you know, off-speed pitches, counter pitches off of that. Joe Thomas was great at. It. I mean, he wasn't like a massively built guy like that, but he talked about everything being built off his vertical set, and he he developed all his counters off of that.
3: Thomas is the is the equivalent of of Aaron Rodgers. As Aaron Rodgers, the, there's one thing you can't talk to Aaron Rodgers about. If you don't know, it's his height. You can't ask him about his height. If, he, if, if you have an interview with the guy and, he, and you ask him about his height, he'll, he'll end the interview right there on you, or, or he'll explain to you how upset he is right away. But you don't do it. Uh, and and uh, with uh, with Joe Thomas, it's it's about his length. He didn't want to hear about it. He says my hand size makes up for my length. You okay. know, I, I, it's it's you know that's that's somebody else's problem, kind of thing. And, and Joe Thomas was. One of the guys who got away with a little bit less uh, in, in terms of length, and, and certainly did uh, had a great career uh, with that. Let's get back right. to Stanley for a second. So go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say that we we can finish up on Stanley, but it, it seemed like that was a, a natural segue to like
3: Patrick. McCoy. Yes, <laughs> you want to finish, we'll finish Stanley? We can we'll finish Stanley. We'll finish on Stanley really quickly. Uh, so he's he's in two drives before halftime. Then he played one after halftime. uh uh, b for the game uh so he scored 17 out of possible 22 points got an adjustment of 0.07 for people who follow my system in playing against hendrickson which is very high uh well almost the the maximum he could possibly get but uh interesting at the end of the game you know first of all i was very worried the second series of the game is already sitting on the end of the bench and you know then you get all this stuff coming by on twitter and people saying he's tapped out and this and that and and, you know first of all i'm so I, i won't even respond to that kind of a discussion about him on Twitter. It's nothing I want to get involved in. And and if if you don't really have an understanding about the player's motivations or maybe even know him personally, um, I think you probably ought to just stay the hell out of that. And and you know, you you got the right to talk about whatever think about whatever you want, but I'm not gonna to respond to it if you if you if you do want to talk about it. I'll tell you that. Yeah. And, that's what uh, I said.
1: In social media, we know how that goes. Mm-hmm. People are going to say whatever they want to say, but I'm not gonna engage in that. Right. For me, that's what it would take. You mentioned, you know, unless you, if I don't know that guy personally, I'm not mm-hmm. going to question this guy's character. I'm not going to question his motivation or his desire to play football. What the hell do I know? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. If you want to do that, knock yourself out. But right. people rip that guy up this way and down the other about him not loving football and having other interests outside the game. And he's not tough.
3: So does Kyler Murray. So
1: and, what? I mean, I, yeah, I'm just I'm just yeah. not going to do that because I honestly don't know. <laughs> OK, I just don't know. And so I I, I heard something recently and I'm going to screw it up. I'll just try to paraphrase it. But uh, it, it was something to the effect of, look, a hollow mind is a bad thing. Fill it not with guesswork, something like that. Right? Right. <laughs> you already don't know what's going on. So don't fill it up with a bunch of speculation and stuff that you don't know. Right. Just yeah maybe move on to something else or look at the stuff that is actually more tangible, you know, that you, you can comment about.
3: And, and and look at, look at, we've been an hour and 43 minutes on this podcast. We have a lot to talk about. It's engaging. It's wonderful discussion. There's a lot to talk about, about football without having to go down the crap hole, you know, a ton, ton of stuff
1: to talk about other than that I get why people do it, but it's like, like you, it's just, it's not my thing.
3: So it was kind of interesting thing. Cause i I'm watching him on the sideline. He's on the end of the bench where it's like an alternate kind of a position. So, so you got a five-man bench. The offensive line always sits together on the sideline. And the you know usually Coach D is in front of them and talking with a, a little whiteboard about you know what's going on and whatnot. And Stanley's kind of on the outside of that discussion. I was worried he might not be coming back into the game. Then he did. And in the second half, when he went out after the third quarter, after sorry, after the first drive of the third quarter, he moved over to sitting on top of what looked like a Gatorade container. So he's not even on the bench anymore. And that made me think he's probably done for the day is this is he's uh uh it was he was he's still right next to the bench but there was a gatorade container there for some reason like a like a a cooler or a, i don't even know what it would be maybe a thermos that he was sitting on it's just a strange thing for him to be sitting on for starters but it did kind of look like he was down at that point.
1: yeah and i i was wondering just like a lot of other people like you know what what was going on what was the deal was there um you know a setback injury wise or you know mm-hmm. what and then you hear, you know, after I, I think people, once you saw him kind of go in and come back and go in and come back, you figured, OK, this is a plan uh, that they had worked out. And, of course, our confirmed that. And, you know, for people like you've already told them, go back and listen to the first part of the show. Uh, We talked a little bit about our thoughts on you know how we think that plan uh, continues, if it continues.
3: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we, we, we both uh, did kind of mention that that e- some possibility of uh, increased pitch count or or perhaps even a full, but we don't know how many games it would take to get there. And uh, I think you're saying increased pitch count would be your likelihood, and I think that'd yeah. be mine, too. Whether that means 50 percent or 75 percent, I don't I don't know that we can really say, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping the more the barrier. As far as Absolutely. I can
1: <laughs> Absolutely. But more is good. More is better.
3: All right, let's move on to Patrick McCarry. And, and this is an interesting one. Uh, Patrick McCarry did not grade well by my system. And this is one of these rare examples where PFF and my grade on Patrick are so different that it's worth inspecting that in terms of a little more of a detail level to see how could this be so different. But McCarry got an F by my system, a high F at that, just three points short of passing. Um, and he got a probably, if I'm converting their number grade to a thing, it might be a B minus or something. Uh, and this is not because I hate Patrick McCary. In, in fact, basically, PFF and I saw the exact same things, event mm-hmm. by event. It's just they weighted them differently. Mm-hmm. All right. And I'm going to kind of go through this. And Michael, comment as, as you okay. see fit here. Stop me and yeah, make signal me as you need to. We know I will certainly come to a complete stop. But um, he had an offensive holding call on the game. This is one thing I've been a little bit critical about PFF over the years is I don't think they properly weight penalties. Uh, for me, an offensive holding, it stalled a drive. In that particular mm-hmm. case, but even if it hadn't, um, it's it's one of the most damaging plays you can have because it's an in-play penalty that can be declined if the result is worse. So if it was a, if it had been a turnover in the play, turnover would have stood. Yeah. If it had been a sack on the play or another intentional grounding caused by that, or you know probably a few other things in terms of a loss on the play, um, you you uh, you would have taken that instead of the holding. And uh, and it, it's actually a very serious penalty, but that cost him sixteen points out of the 42 points, sorry, make that 43 points he lost on the game by my system. Mm. So it's almost 40% of his downgrade is from that one play. Now, PFF, I can't even find where they they accounted for. It was a run play. They gave him a very high run grade. So I can't really figure out how on 19 run snaps, with one of them being a holding penalty, you could possibly give the guy a grade in the 70s. Does not compute.
1: Now, let me ask you this, though. If it's the play that I think it is, I believe it happened on the backside of that run. I think that's Lamar keeping the ball running to the right. That's right. Do you think, again, we're speculating, we'd have to ask one of these guys, that they factor that in, that it's away from the run, it's on the backside, so we're going to weight that less?
3: I, I think that would be an enormous mistake to do so. Mistakes on the backside, unnecessary penalties are in a lot of ways worse than penalties that occur on the front side of plays. So if you, yeah. if, if tight end on the, on the, on the right side of that play, if he, if he has the penalty along the edge, I can chalk that up to a couple of things. One of is he might've started with the right block, held on to it to a little bit long, got flagged for it. And, but the guy on the backside, if he gets held, you know, flagged for holding, he generally has to be more egregious about the hold than the guy on the front side of the play. Uh, and, and it's just as damaging in terms of ruining the play. And it took away a, a you know, a run play there. I've got to go back to, I think it might've been a nine yard run, right. Actually. Something like that, because with uh, yeah.
1: Eli Apple, they kind of Lamar kind of dropped the shoulder on him a little bit and went out of yeah. bounds
3: there. But I'm trying, like
1: you, I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Okay, well, why wouldn't they wait that?
3: Good question, and and we want good questions all the way through this because okay. I, it's just it's just a difference, and and PFF has certain weightings, and frankly, I do too, that I've had since the beginning of my system, and they've had since the beginning of their system, and it's good to have different models. It tells you. Things about football that might be different, and this is a, this is the kind of game where you have an, a chance to inspect that at a deeper level and really understand what the differences are in systems and what they're actually calculating. But I can't come up with a way you get into the seventies in a grade on nineteen run blocks if you've got a holding penalty in there. It just doesn't. In terms of all the possible positive contributions, you know, any tackle could make. I I can't see that working out. But that was part of it. Let me go a little bit further in terms of pass blocking. He was a little bit. Uh, worse, um, on the pass blocking side, uh, even with the, with the hold, uh, he had a quarterback hit PFF and I both agree that happened. Um, he had two pressures as I called it one pressure as PFF calls it. That's a little more complicated than that. So I'm sure we both agree on one full pressure assigned to McCarry, And we probably each gave him some sort of negative score for that. In my case, it's a negative two in their case, it's whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I, they, I also have him for two half pressures. Now, one of them, I can tell you, is a pass defense at the line of scrimmage. I know PFF would not score him down on that. So if I'm trying to, to to correct my system, quote unquote, to be more like PFF, and I take that away, he gains two points back because he, does, he, does, he, he shared it with powers. He got a minus one on the play, and he, and he would have otherwise gotten a one for blocking the guy effectively. So he gets two points back. That would be about 0.04. It would take him up into the bottom of the D range. So you got a difference there, but certainly not to the level the PFF is grading it. And then I have another half pressure, which I think came between two and a half and three seconds. So that's another difference in the system is I'm highly protective of the quarterback's throwing cone, meaning yeah. if that gets invaded and within three seconds, then that the the lineman is charged for it in some way. And that that happened once with Patrick. And I believe that 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 probably is the other difference here. Uh all the ways I'm looking at, I got one more for you. Okay. The run pass difference here. They got them as a worse pass blocking game, the run blocking game, but they had, they, I, I believe because of the old plus two minus two system and the aggregation of scores that they don't weight the pass and run proportionally how it should be done. And my opinion and again, this is based on the leverage of the plays, and you know my understanding of the math of this. And I, I will go into it more on another show. But basically, pass plays are a lot more important than run plays. Mm-hmm. Okay, you get a lot more leverage assigned to them. They tend to be on on downs where you need to convert. And if you if you score those two things as being equivalent, you're making the same mistake that baseball did in in, in coming up with a statistic of OPS. And OPS on base plus slugging is adding two things that are of different value. Slugging is approximately half as valuable as a point of on base percentage, and weighted OBA it takes care of that and basically puts the appropriate weight on the on base percentage component. It's very similar to the weight I would ascribe to to uh, passing and run blocking. They're both they're both important. You you want to be both good, but if you can only be good at one, you better be a good pass blocker. Yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, this sounds to me like. Perfect opportunity, and I, I, I'm sure you know this guy and have interacted with him on Twitter. Gordon McGinnis. Hey, yep. Gordon. Gordon, yep. <laughs> come on again and yep. explain these things. Because Gordon, the one thing I will say about him is he seems to be, and you, you may know other other people at PFF, but yep. he's probably the only one I've interacted with on a regular basis. He's open to kind of oh, know, they all are. the They're... black box. Like, oh, we'll open it up a little bit for you and kind of show yep. you how we got here.
3: They're absolutely terrific at that. From the former president on down, Eric Eager, who just moved on, who was the head of R&D for the group, Mm -hmm. uh, not only would come on my show, uh, probably came on two or three times, but he also opened up all his interns to come on the show. Those interns are some of the most impressive kids you will meet. They're unbelievable programmers, data analysts, and you know what? They love to come to you, explain their theory, and answer questions on it. They're completely open kimono about it. It's it's all Arjun oh, I've had a one. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, those and Seth, uh, Tage Seth, if you've heard of yeah. that one. And yeah. There's yeah. Another and one, there's Haley um,
1: English. Haley. Yep. I was going to say with the um the expected coverage yep. stuff. Yeah. No, it's amazing that these kids are as young as they are and as smart as they are. <laughs> just, it
3: blows my mind. By the way, just had Timo Riskay on, who's Riska. Timo Riske. Yeah, um, yeah. And he has a tremendous thing about what happens on the outcome of a drop back. It's absolutely fabulous beyond be on at the end of this week look for it guys because this is this is PFF in action in terms of really being a, a positive thing but I think you know it's just it's a different system is what this comes down to yeah. it's just yeah. this happened to be the perfect storm of games where we've got a player who I don't think really played that well in terms of when you when you wait the events as I would and they say he was perfectly fine and yeah. so he was a good one to look at and look out of the covers a little bit at what went happened
1: it's a anyway, good example cool. for that it's a perfect example for that
3: Anyway, glad to have Patrick McCarry back because wherever he plays, he's important to the Ravens in terms of of uh, of being available. Whether he's the backup center or he's going to be a backup left tackle or maybe even have to step in at guard at some point if somebody got hurt this year.
1: Yeah, they love that guy. I mean, obviously the coaches love him. The players love him. Every other offensive lineman on there, they can't say enough positive things about him. They they call the guy a unicorn. Every one of them mm-hmm. call calls him a unicorn because they said, look, it's hard enough to play multiple multiple positions. It's even harder to play them. Relatively well. Mm-hmm. It's it, it, well, They don't even qualify. They just say play it well. They mm-hmm. just think, you know, his ability to come into a game and just do it is is just something you just don't see. Um, so to me, I, I've always said he's he's like the next evolution of like James Hurst. He's it's like James Hurst 3.0 because he yeah. can play even more positions uh, at, at a better. higher level. <laughs> yeah. He's better than James Hurst. He's like maybe 3.0 is doing it with this It might be even higher than that.
3: Uh, and yeah, Hurst did some good things for the Ravens. He I mean, he, he played left playing. guard pretty well. Yeah. He's, he's playing, playing he's every playing snap now, right, yeah. for, for yeah. New Orleans? Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Uh, ben Powers uh, avoided significant mistakes in this game, which is really good. When, whenever a player does that, that's usually going to be a, a well-scored game. Had half a penetration uh, on a run play He pulled and was not able to, and he also had half a pressure. Uh, three missed blocks. Only one of those was a miss at the line of scrimmage. His only real problem was he got zero points on five pulls. Mm-hmm. And this has been now two weeks out of the last three where he's had really trouble uh, converting pulls. And that's not what you want out of your left guard, first of all. But in this game, the Ravens actually reversed their handedness of their run game again. So, yeah, yeah I see you nodding your head, but it's, it's, it, I, you know, they're running a lot from right to left. Yeah. Which is,
1: you can go back a couple of years ago, maybe not even a couple, maybe, maybe more recent than that. And it was like the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but like, like we talked about in the first, what, or did we, I might not have probably up. I might've been talking about this with somebody else, but, um, we, oh no, we talked about Linda Baum a little bit and we talked about Moses and that part has really surprised me about Morgan Moses. I did not expect him mm-hmm. to pull as well. And now, but when I say, well, let me qualify that. Cause it's not like I'm scoring it like you, whether he's actually connecting or he's going to, I mean, I do look at whether he's going to the right guy and stuff like that, but just from an athletic standpoint, I didn't expect that from him. He moves a lot better than I expected him to move. And I think what he's be as he's gotten more comfortable in their system and their run game, he's finishing more blocks. I mean, he's getting yep. his hands on guys and he is driving guys down the field. And that's another thing that I I I didn't know. I mean, I probably watched four games of him with the Jets last year and maybe just because it's a different system, it was more of a zone-based system. You didn't see as many opportunities for him to like really finish blocks. And it doesn't always have to be like an on the ground pancake. Like I said, we, we talked about that Dobbin 17 yard. run. if you latch on to a guy and run him 10 to 15 yard downfield, that's a finish. That's a very good finish yep. uh, to me. So I just didn't expect that. But maybe that's that's a like you said, maybe the, the, the combination of two, those two things, Powers struggling with pulls a little bit, Moses and guys, you know, on the right side, maybe doing a little bit better.
3: They're, they're, they're. I think they're experimenting a little bit. I think Roman is. I mean, Zeitler was brought in to play right guard, and one of the things that Zeitler does extremely well is open the front gate on the run plays. And and it takes a special guard there to be able to handle the torque requirements of that position to pivot through and allow uh, the puller to go through there cleanly, and then the back to go through there cleanly, and sometimes the fullback to get through the cleanly. So it has to be done fairly quickly. In, in terms of, of getting that done, you can try and do it with a double team over there, but you, it's much better if you could do it with with one guy like a Yanda or a Zeitler who can pivot, and that's what really makes you pay that right guard a lot of money uh, when you can. Left guard, honestly, the pulling responsibility, I think, is a little bit easier. Uh, a lot of guys, uh, you know, there are people with lead feet who just can't do it at all. Bradley Bozeman, very average athlete. You know, it's certainly not an exceptional athlete, but he's an exceptional puller. He learned the dance steps very well and 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 was very good at it with the Ravens. Um it's it's depressing that this is not something Powers has done at a high level because uh, he's done some other things a pass blocker very well, including in this game.
1: Yeah. I he's been a surprise for me too. And that just for me. I'm not either you or, or other people may have said, hey, no, I, I kind of expected him to be at this level this year, but I I I did I was really kind of surprised, and I was like, you know what? I'm I'm not saying that you know this is not like the second coving of like Steve Hutchinson or anything. I'm just (laughs) saying that he's played, uh, I'd say at least replacement level, if not better. Oh, much Uh, better. Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 been kind of a a pleasant surprise for sure. But I'm like, man, I I really wasn't sure about left guard coming into this season. I was like, man, I don't know how this is going to work out. I mean, I, I I guess a lot of people probably thought. Ben Cleveland was going to win that job at some point or or earn his way onto the field at some point. And he's he's the outside looking in big time.
3: Well, now he's got an injury. So it's, it's that much worse, but powers in terms of grades is not going to lose this job without actually going out there and losing the job at this point. He's earned the right to fail, as I call it, got a D in, in, in week one that jets defensive line, obviously very big, gave him some troubles, but since then a C plus B a minus in the four weeks. So he got an a minus this, uh, Uh, this week against the uh, uh, Bengals and it's, it's for avoiding these negative plays. You know, he's not getting penalized. He's, he's making um, the vast majority of his bulks, and he rarely gets a negative play blocks and and he rarely gets a negative play. So that's a good thing. I do want him playing on that left side to be able to do what I think Cleveland does do well, which is process from inside out to try and make that help block for the tackle. And even with Stanley back, I want to see more of that this year. Stanley is a guy who will give ground while mirroring perfect guy to get a help block. OK, and because he can, he can maintain that block longer and Powers can actually help him more. But in order to do it, Powers has got to make sure that Linderbaum's got his guy taken care of because he usually yeah. has joint responsibility to start with on that one tech that's that's right there, or he often will anyway. Then he has to make sure there's not a blitz and then he has to come over. What I've occasionally seen from Powers is he does more than look both ways before crossing the street to make the help block, he'll he'll look right, look left, look right, and then of, move right. Too yeah, much. There's
1: a lot of, lot of, yeah. <laughs> a lot of head in there. <laughs> I've seen some of that, too. I think he was being more intentional about it when uh, Fala Lele was in there just because he knew who was there. Yes. And he had to be more conscious of, of helping him out. But, yeah, there's a lot of looking both ways. And it's funny to see a guy like him who's been here for a couple of years, been in league for a few years, and still kind of trying to work his way through that. And you look at a guy like Linderbaum, it's like he picks that stuff up so fast. Like He yeah. sees it and he knows where it's going and he knows where his eyes need to go. And it's like his stuff is all just about just, you know, time on task. Right. It's the NFL, he's kind of learned. But the mental part of it, he sees stuff really quickly.
3: <laughs> I, I agree. I think he's he's looked very good in that respect. Let's uh, let's move on to Tyler. Uh, good game as a blocker, uh, here ruined, uh, sorry, the last game he had ruined by three penalties yeah. in, in, in this game, uh, didn't have that happen. Let me make sure I have my score sheet in front of me. As I bring that up, uh, he made 52 out of 58 blocks, missed five. And his only negative event was two thirds of a quarterback hit. So, uh, I don't know if, if PFF had him for that or not. I think there might've been a difference from me and, and, uh, and his scoring, but they keep showing sacks by the way, which by the way, for a center, terrible way to measure things because centers rarely get charged with a sack. <laughs> it almost always goes to somebody else so if you want to throw sacks out there and, and you know the typical center maybe gives up about two and a half sacks a season uh you're really not you're not getting at the at the important part of the performance but anyway two-thirds of a quarterback hit i've noticed a more balanced player the last two weeks in particular even with all the penalties the last game which hurt his score in in he was doing a better job of not getting off balance only had one off balance play in this game and he recovered pretty quickly from it. I still gave him credit for the block on that play, uh, but but it, it, you definitely see when he's up there against these bigger men that he will occasionally get on one foot or lose his ability to contact that that player because he's been outreached. And it 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 was in the early in the season it was probably happening three to four times a game. Uh, it happened one time in this game. I I I take that as a big improvement in terms of him finding those techniques that he's been able to use in college that have been successful and dissecting them into the groups that still work at the NFL level and some other things that he has to build on in order to to, to deal with these bigger, more powerful interior defensive linemen. Yeah,
1: I was really curious how he was going to do that uh, mm-hmm. coming into the league, because obviously that was the thing. I mean, everybody knew that he mm-hmm. was the top-rated center coming into that draft. I don't think there was any doubt about that. But there was a concern about, hey, when you're going up against some of these behemoths, Right? You face some big dudes in college, but this is this is a different beast here. Uh <laughs> how is he how is he gonna acquit himself? And I think by and large, like you said, he's, it's, it's gotten better, it's improved yeah. each week, and you can see that wrestling background in him. That guy is oh, so yeah. good at creating and then recreating leverage, basically maintaining it, like finding ways, like, okay, I got it. Oh, I lost it. Oh, let me get it back. Mm-hmm. He can just do that throughout a block. And like you said, it's 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 becoming um, you're seeing it less frequently now where you might have saw like early on like Quentin williams you know gave him a couple problems and then quinnon's a very good player um but you even even he had some good battles even with Quentin in that game where you could see him kind of really fight and find a way to kind of get his hands back underneath and inside and really get his hips back get his feet behind his hips and just kind of anchor and you know what you're trying to do ideally this is not me this is offensive line coaches who talk about this. Even offensive linemen, if you follow Mitch, Mitchell Schwartz online, he's a great follow, by the way. Him and Andrew Whitworth, now they're, they're both retired. They talk about redirecting that force. They're like, look, mm-hmm. these guys are bigger than you, they're stronger than you, they're more athletic than you. If you're just trying to stop them when they're charging you, that's a losing business model.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: going to be rare to do that unless you're like, you know, Larry Allen or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Not many guys can do that. So you want to redirect that force. You want to lift them, right? You want to raise that force so that's why they're always talking about low man and getting underneath because you're literally just trying to take that force that's coming at you get underneath it and straighten their spine right they're coming in at a certain spine angle because that gives them power you're trying to straighten and elongate that spine so now that force instead of coming at you on this vector it's going
3: up yep.
1: right not, not so nearly as effective but that's something that you can deal with even if you're a smaller guy
3: how much do those guys talk about <laughs> hand placement and using your hands independently to try and also achieve similar results meaning if you strike that guy on the on his his left shoulder with your right hand, you're putting a forceful punch there, and not using both hands at the same time to do it necessarily, because you don't want to play pinball with two flippers all the time. Yeah. You want to, you want to strike with one hand on that on that left shoulder occasionally, or beneath the left armpit. I think is where they usually take as a striking spot uh, often. Uh, it, it, how, how much do they talk about that redirecting the opponent? As opposed to simply doing it by lifting, because it seems like you got to have multiple. You got to have a plan, up like a pass oh, yeah. plan. You got to have a pass blocking plan.
1: You got to have a toolbox. That's for sure. I've seen both of them talk about it a little bit. I guess Whit- Whitworth just got on Twitter this year. Um, Schwartz has been on it, and he's been pretty active. Even back when he was, he hadn't officially retired yet, but he was still injured. Mm-hmm. He was still tweeting quite a bit, and he would actually go through whole threads of some of the techniques that he used with like clips of him in games. And he mm-hmm. talked about that's one of the ways that he would create and maintain leverage was with his hand usage it's like yeah obviously your feet and your hips are important but you can also do that with hand usage and he talked about a bunch of different things he has this one that he calls the hamilton where you basically grab a wrist and you lift a guy up <laughs> with both hands and that's how you create it right so you're not into his chest lifting him you're grabbing his wrist and you're mm-hmm. lifting them and he's like sometimes you can time it perfectly where you get them both and you can get them both up sometimes it's one and then you get yep. another one inside, so you lift that one, and you got one inside to kind of control. Still you. sounds so like you're dancing
3: him with him. That's and you want to lead. <laughs>
1: yeah, and he's like, that's that. And th- these were against like top-flight guys, like in their prime. He showed a couple of clips against Khalil Mack when he was still mm-hmm. in his prime. So he's like, look, I'm not, you know, doing this against you know Johnny Nobody out there. These are guys who are like top rushers in the league, and you can actually do this. Um, you know, if you work at it and if you practice it. And he said he learned that in Cleveland. Actually, I forget. Who, I don't know if it was. Who he learned it from, or so, but when he was in Cleveland, he said that's where he first learned that from. And he said during the week, what he would do is he would have whoever he was working against in practice scout team or whoever was going against the defense ask him, you know, to to rush him in certain ways. Obviously, trying to mimic the guy he was going to see on game oh, day, hmm. but also give me some looks so I can work on that, right? Get your hands in certain places so I can work on, all right, if I see them here, all right, I'm going to try to do it this way. Or if your hands come this way, I'm going to try to grab this one and do this wrist and not the other wrist. So he was interesting because I him. don't
3: think you're getting the Von Miller experience from that scout team guy, but but it may be that you uh, you can you could do something to to at least mimic the yeah. It's position. a
1: combination of getting a certain look that can maybe mimic the rusher you're going against, and like you said, you're not going to really mimic Von Miller per se. But then also the techniques that you're trying to work on, mm-hmm. right? I need I need to actually use those if I'm going to try to do this to actually do it during the week um and so he he's a really good follow uh so both of those guys are if you want to learn some things um about the kind of intricacies of uh, offensive line plays from guys who did it
3: yeah two two things come to mind the first is wouldn't it be cool to be able to create a pass rush machine that would actually allow you to try different pass rushes with a uh you know like almost a mechanical bullet that would be for for, for a, a defensive end that would be kind of kind of cool i i think you know they have jugs guns they have some other things they have these tackling dummies now on the field they're getting better we can't be too far removed in robotics terms from being able to replicate some great pass rushers
1: no not at all i don't think i, don't, I, I think <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised if somebody's out there doing it and working on it just, now yeah. yeah we just they they're not at a point where they want to share it yet but that wouldn't surprise
3: Okay. Well, let's go back to Linderbaum for a second. Seven out of seven in pulls on this game. And uh, all of these, except for one, six of those came on counter plays. So, uh, he's, he's, you, know, you can't have guard tackle counters. You can have guard center counters depends on how the defense lines up. And so that, so the, um, and that's all stuff you taught me, Michael, oh. that, I'm Sure, but, <laughs> but, uh, but then anyway, that the, when the center, uh, uh, is pulling he's always leading on the counter in the direction he's he's going and so he has to make a block and for him to make all those is is uh obviously very good um he led moses a fair amount on those and and uh, moses was devastating to us we'll get to linderbama b for the game um didn't have any highlights he did have one block in level two and one pancake but uh, uh but a, a good game from linderbama b and by the way if you're really expecting an A every week from Linderbaum or you've been made to expect an A from the fact that PFF keeps telling you he's got no sacks so far, don't do that. (laughs) I mean, you know, if he can be in that B range every week, that is fantastic. And if you're in the B range for a whole season, you're a pro bowl player. Uh, That is uh, as exactly what you need to do to accumulate aggregate above average play uh, to, to, to get to a pro bowl season. And PFF really understands that by the way, in terms of their, Ah, uh, numerical grades. Because if you'll see somebody, who will get a, like a seventy for five consecutive weeks, and for their season, they're an eighty-one. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. that's because they're aggregating those you know positive grades uh, uh, over time, and it becomes harder to 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 maintain that standard for a for a period of time. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's not beer; it's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is this water called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those aluminum cans that comes in are recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities so they won't just end up in your local landfill like plastic bottles. Go get liquid death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or hi or find Liquid Death re- retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com front slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com front slash film study. Ready to talk about Zeitler?
1: Yeah, I'm ready to go. I was just the, okay. the Linderbaum. I, I I love it. I've been so excited with watching that guy play because he's everything I was hoping he would be.
3: <laughs> how how cool would it be to have Linder Palm's hand usage? Because he's got to do all sorts of hand usage tricks to, to get things going. Put that on full file lately, <laughs> uh, <yeah>. well, <laughs> and you really have some.
1: Think about it; they're on the same line now, in the same room yeah. now. I mean, he's he's going to see some of this stuff, and you know, I, obviously they play different positions, but you know, guys are going to talk, and guys are going to talk about things that they do that mm-hmm. work for them, and you hear them talk about that. with guys who are they try to look for guys who are like similar body types to them, right? Because they mm-hmm. say like, well, guys much bigger, much taller, whatever. I maybe can't do some of the stuff that he can do. But if I find a guy who's a similar body type to me, I watch him on film. Maybe I try to take some of his stuff. But hand usage might be something where you say, hey, look, we're different body types, clearly. Very different body types between Bomb and Pala mm-hmm. But in terms of just hand usage, hey, what do you do against these bigger guys, right, to get leverage and to make sure that you get your hands in a place where you can control these guys? Like, you know, I kind of do this if he's doing that or I switch up if he's coming at me this way. You know, it, it, you, you, I'd be surprised if they don't talk about it.
3: All right. Uh, Kevin Zeitler. Great game. Had two weeks in a row that were just kind of OK games in the C range, uh, which is always it, it doesn't it's not cause for concern with Zeitler, but it's kind of uh, it's, it's not what you'd expect or hope for. Um, from from Kevin. No negative events in this game. Four missed blocks uh, on the game. Uh, seven out of ten on pulls. I believe only one of his four missed. It might have even been zero uh, were losses actually at the line of scrimmage. So he slipped entering level two once and he had a level two no block And he might uh, that was on a pull and he might have had two other pull PNBs. So it ended up he didn't have any loss to the man directly in front of him, which is that's really good for, a, for an offensive lineman to go through a game like that. Um, Ravens, again, very left-handed in this game. So seven, 10 polls from Zeitler from right to left is telling you the Ravens are not in the same place as they have been in the past with, uh, with regard to how they feel about probably tackle and also what's going on at left guard on the left side. Uh, yeah.
1: Right. In the best.
3: Yep. Yeah. Uh, a for Zeitler on the game. Anything else you yeah. want to say about, about Kevin? Just
1: a solid vet, man. I mean, I've come to just expect him to go out there and just be good, you know, for a lack of, I mean, that's kind of an oversimplification, because obviously there's a lot that goes into that for a guy like him. Um, Because I remember when when I watched him coming from the Giants, I was like, man, this guy, the mental processing part, he was very good at that, too. I mean, obviously, the physical stuff is there, but just being able to see things. And that was a little bit of a younger offensive line. And he was really able to help them. You could see him signaling and communicating a lot of things about what the defense was doing to either, you know, his right tackle or to the center and then center communicating it over. Uh and I thought that was something that he really was gonna bring here. And I think that, I think he does. I mean, I think he's probably a big help uh to to Tyler Linderbaum. Um there's one thing and I don't I don't I'm not putting this on him. Uh mm-hmm. and we might talk about this a little bit more when we get into Moses, but I think there was even a clip of them after the Bills game talking, him and Moses talking on the sideline, one of the Wired episodes, about one of those games, one of those twist games where pressure got in there and he's like, you know, we just got to tighten it up. And most like, yeah, we're going to get it. We're going to get in. He's like, well, I just got on a different level and he had a really good bull rush on me. I've seen that a couple of times between those guys where I think they get on different levels. And I think some of that, I lean a little bit more towards Moses because of how he sets. He wants to get with, he wants, he, he really wants to get with, uh, <laughs> and he wants to get depth. And I think sometimes that creates, they kind of get on those different levels. And so when you get that mm-hmm. game, it's hard to pass it off. I think right. Zeitler actually probably sees it a little sooner and wants to pass it off, but there's a crease there. So I can't pass it there because he's going to split us. So yeah. I think they've, they're still trying to work that out a little bit. So I don't, I don't necessarily, like I said, I don't really put the bigger portion of that on Zeitler. I think a little bit more of it is in on Moses, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. And, and uh, I, I, I I have a hard time even grading that when it comes up because who's supposed to be deeper, who's supposed to be shallower when it comes to, 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 to this handoff, but it usually ends up being, I just end up splitting the charge, but I do think the deeper set player has done something to weaken that situation a little bit more. And, and obviously you have, you have to have a little bit of understanding when a tackle wants to set deep. And, uh, let's just move on and talk about Morgan Moses because he had a fantastic game this week and he'd had a couple of games. I've got to see if it's a couple of games or just one game that he was off, but he, but he had been off the, the previous week at the very least. Yeah, so he, he it actually was only one week off. He had an F against Buffalo uh, and was not particularly close to passing. He was in the 50s, but not in the high 50s. Uh, this this game, uh, a 90 uh, as a base score plus an adjustment on this game puts him well into the A range. He always was with with or without the uh, um, uh, adjustment. But his best game as a Raven, half a pressure was his only negative event. Anytime you get a right tackle, giving up only half a pressure in a full NFL game, that's fantastic. Uh, four missed blocks. This is the big one now. Michael, you mentioned this a couple times already, giving away the whole show in advance here, but nine <laughs> of nine on polls. Now, A lot of those were counters. Okay. In fact, might have been every single one was a counter. I got to kind of look at that to see if there were anyone. Okay. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All nine of them were counter plays. So he's either going with guard or center, leading the way on all those, which means he's the trailer. And under my system, he doesn't even have to make a block. He just has to not get in anybody's way as he goes through that, because often there won't be a block available in the trailer. Didn't matter. Seven of nine times he found a block. Yeah. On those plays, and they were devastating level two blocks. Some of the greatest kind of the kind of plays you would show on a highlight reel for a season for a right tackle in terms of pulling.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure they're showing those plays already. Yeah, <laughs> when they go back and they do their film reviews, and they're looking at the good stuff. Obviously, they look at the not so good stuff too. But I'm sure from the good stuff, they're showing those. And yeah, to me, that's been as as I chart the run game. That's been one of the bigger adjustments uh, in terms of the blocking. Is that there were times when he wasn't finding anybody Mm -hmm. Uh, and I I don't score it. So I, I, you know, I I don't put a a number to that, whether that's good or it's bad, but I'm like, Hey, I want you to block something. I want you to find somebody uh, (laughs) to block. And uh, he's been doing that. And I think what's really unique about that play, when you talk about them pulling Linderbaum and then uh, Moses being the second puller is not all the time, but I would say most of the time that I've seen them do it and a little bit more over the last couple of games, probably the last two or three games, when Linderbaum pulls, so basically they're having both guys. The way I think about pulling is the first puller is the kickout guy, right? Mm-hmm. That in man on the line of scrimmage, he ideally wants to kick that player out. Like you said, create a little bit of width, create a hole, basically. Got, got a, to get it cleaned out, out first. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second guy is, I, in, in the way that I've noted in my chart, he's the wrap slash lead guy, mm-hmm. right? He's, lead, he's wrapping around. Some people use that terminology. He's wrapping around the final linebacker. Or, you know, whatever player shows up there could be a safety or he's a lead blogger. They've actually been using both of those guys to do that. Linderbaum has not been kicking out. He's also been rapping, right, to be a lead. And then Moses comes around and he's the second rap lead. They've been using um, Ricard to kick out on mm-hmm. those plays and have both, which makes perfect sense to me. Because, again, like we've talked about, you got these two really good athletes for their position. It's not just waste them kicking out a guy on the end, man. Let's get those guys up in level two and get them on some linebackers or get them on some safeties. And in Moses' case, he's been getting linebackers. He's been getting on DBs (laughs) and just washing them out of there. And it may not always lead to this. It certainly has been you know, part of of some long runs. But I think as the season goes on, you're going to see even longer runs because of those blocks. And as the running backs, even Lamar, gets more comfortable anticipating that for him, like, oh, he's not just going to run out there and block nobody. He's going to go get that guy. I can cut off of that. Oh, okay. I think the more that they get comfortable with him doing that and anticipate him doing that, you're going to see even longer.
3: That's one of the, one of the funny things about the Ravens scheme is that they or the Ravens run system. I'll just call it is uh, with the, with the reads, they don't always follow the the counter in any way, shape or form, even running back or quarterback. They don't always follow, follow the, uh, you know, what is the obvious blocking path of the play, but that certainly does run defenders out of the play and they see counter and they know they got to get to the, they got to get to the pole side. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good for making players run out of direction, uh, running out of uh, a position. Let's go a little further with Moses here. Seven blocks in level two, two pancakes, two highlights led the team. Um, take a read on the offensive line article, please tomorrow. If you want to go back and get time references on what he did. Um, it, it was a clinic uh, Morgan Moses put on in this game and, and a big uh, change from the previous game I think there's there is there's so much to like about what was happening here in terms of what the potential upside is in a game from what you can get from Morgan Moses I think it has even more significance his grade and and, and his and and what he was able to accomplish in this game um uh more, what he's able to accomplish more than his his grade directly in in fact just because he's a lot more utile to this uh uh to this offense uh given given his ability to pull and and the Ravens' seeming desire to pull from right to left more this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, what he is doing on these pulls, it's reminiscent of what Ronnie Stanley would do from the left side. (laughs) He had that. He's not the same level athlete as Ronnie, but he's a good athlete uh, for a tackle, and particularly for a a man his height. Um, So he's he's given them that. And now, you know, we talked about Ronnie early. You think about having three athletes like that on the line. Ronnie Linderbaum right. and Morgan Moses and the kind of things that you can do in the run game with those guys. We got a little taste of it. They're yep. all out there <laughs> for some drives in this game. So I think this could just be the tip of the iceberg.
3: Yeah, it'll be, it's it's definitely really exciting. I, I, you know, I'm still excited to get Cleveland in at some point on this line, but there really is no position for him right now. I think McCarey could help if he had to play somewhere on this line, but there's no position for him either. And he's, yeah. you know, it's great to have two reserves like this. It's great to be able to go into game day with a fourth tackle available with Fatalele. Uh boy, it's it's just it's a good position for the offensive line. It's one of the few positions right now where they really have their their full depth still around. You know, start to lose it at safety with the Marcus Williams thing. They've lost a yeah. the cornerback already yeah. in terms of what they had to start the season and and how good how far along they thought JAD was relative to Fuller and uh, Fuller's injury rather I should say. Uh, you know, where where Brandon Stevens can help the team. But at one position now where they where they really seem to have the depth they hoped they'd have at the beginning of the season is, is on the offensive line. Yeah, and
1: night and day from 2021. My goodness. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. What a, what a what a what a good place to be in.
3: Right now. Fair fair to say that the offensive line is going to be the biggest single determinant in terms of the Ravens being able to maintain the offense necessary to make the playoffs this year. Oh, yeah.
1: Always for me. I mean that that you could ask me that any year, and I'm, I'm always going to say that uh, because t- to me that's that's where it all starts, right? Is mm-hmm. you got to have a quarterback. We all understand that. That's that's what the league is right now. Um, but we've also seen even for these unicorn type quarterbacks, if they have a cascading effect of injuries on their offensive line, maybe they can survive one guy. Maybe they can survive two guys. They you get to two slash three guys. And it doesn't matter whether it's Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. Those guys will struggle, too. And mm-hmm. Lamar is in that same boat. So, you know, it's always going to come back to those guys, in my opinion. And when you have a good, solid group, it just allows those guys who already are freakishly talented, at quarterback, to just go to another level. I mean, we saw that with Josh Allen, even in a rain game, even in a game where they kind of kept his numbers down mm-hmm. uh, defensively. And uh, then you, you turn around you see what he did to Pittsburgh. Uh, this yep. past weekend, just <laughs> you know, these there's just there's these freaks running around out there. and You give them an offensive line that's got any kind of continuity and any kind of um, you know uh, health uh, with with the quality guys that that they they have, and I hopefully you know with this line you can get that because I know people hate going back. Ah, you can't go back to 2019 for everything. You can't compare everything sure. to 2019. It's not the numbers for me when I go back to it. It's not what it's about for me. It's about that offensive line and the continuity that they had with that group until, you know, Scurro was injured. Mm-hmm. Um, even still, that was the only injury of any significance. You know, those guys were together that entire year, and I think that for an offensive line, it's probably important for all groups on the football team, particularly important.
3: Yeah, you, you, you pretty much always have an A offensive line if you stay healthy the whole year. And and that's true of a lot of, I mean, health is the is the most Significant winning characteristic there is in the NFL, period. It's not necessarily how talented your roster is that we saw that from the Bengals last year. The Bengals had no business making a Super Bowl, but they were healthy, and that really mattered. They, they stayed healthy throughout the year. Even the, if you pick the worst team in the National Football League and you could magically give them no injuries for the whole year, they'd probably be pretty damn good. They probably will make the playoffs in just about every case. Now, you can pick some terrible Browns team in the past or, or the Lions or something, you yeah. could make that not happen. Uh, but if they, if you know, teams that stay healthy generally you're, are, are way outperform expectations. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. So fingers crossed with the health of the line uh, the rest of this season, and then obviously you know some of the other groups that you talked about. Hopefully, you can get some guys back. Uh, the defensive line is one I'm I'm potentially really excited about if yeah. you can get those guys back healthy, and if you get anything out of David Ajabo uh, this year, that's just icing on the cake, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know what? Icing on the cake for me with Ajaba would be just he doesn't lose the whole year developmentally. He comes yeah. back. He practices with the team for three weeks at the end of the year. At least gets that in terms of some live rep, even if he doesn't get in, in a playoff game, doesn't get activated at any point, blah, 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 blah. If, if he enters 2023 with a fail forward in practice mm-hmm. in 2022, goes to some positional coaching, during the off season, because I think that's important for him. He's lost a whole season of, of working in the trenches against actual offensive linemen. Um, and then comes back for, for, uh, for the 2023 camp and is ready to go. I think the, the pick still has a chance to work out. I don't, I, I wasn't, you know, putting all my chips in on, he's got to produce something this year. Although I think that is the, it, losing the year developmentally is what can make it a very bad, a, a bad pick. Not yeah. a very bad pick, a bad pick.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, they, they knew the risk that they were taking and, mm-hmm. Apparently, you know, with the prognosis, diagnosis, um, they thought that there was going to be an opportunity, at least for what you described, for mm-hmm. them to come back and practice and, and and get some of that. But man, you think about Tyus coming back, which should happen relatively shortly.
3: That'd be a huge, huge bump. Yeah.
1: We get Justin Houston back from his groin injury, along with JPP, who played really well in this last mm-hmm. game. Hopefully, they can get Calais' it snaps down a little bit with
3: all of that. Okay. I'm um, reining you in here. We got to talk offense, buddy. Okay. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, uh, let's talk about other skill position players. You're the guest, my friend. Pick the the player you'd like to talk about. I have a few, but we we've hit on most of these guys throughout our discussion here. Uh, who would you like to talk about?
1: Yeah, we touched. We've we probably mentioned his name here or there, but because I, I know you talked about the the t- uh, touchdown, gotta talk about Mark Andrews. Uh, just doing what he always does. Yeah, I think he had a little bit of a, a quieter game in that Bills game, and um, you know came out in this game. I think it was like eight for eighty nine and touchdown something like that. Um, and, you know, to me, it was about moments more than anything else. There were third downs. There was a touchdown. Obviously that, that last drive, we talked about some of those plays where it's like, Hey, okay, you are the featured pass catcher on this team. Even when Bateman's here, he is the featured pass catcher on this team. And so when it's time to throw the ball, you got to show up, right? Obviously Lamar has got to do his job and get you the ball, but you got to show up. And he did. I mean, anytime that he was able to get single coverage one on one, he was separating from that guy. Right? He was getting open. He was making himself a target. Uh, you know, getting friendly, as they like to say, to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lamar was able. Lamar was able to find him. I mean, that that one throw. I, I forget. I don't know if it was late third or early fourth. It's probably late third. Where uh, Andrew's you know was a deep crosser as usual, but Lamar's got it's it's to the left side. and Lamar's got a layer like over a couple guys mm-hmm. and fit it Great in throw. between. I mean, that, that thing is an absolute dime. Uh, and for Andrews, you know, again, to create that separation and, and create, um, you know, a place, a target for Lamar to throw the ball. I mean, that that's why he's Money Mark. That's why he does what he does. And he showed up in this game the way that he that you would expect him to. I,
3: I come to expect, um, you know, like a, a high catch rate because he's had some really low catch probability things that he's either brought in. Um, the other thing that's just really impressive about Andrews is his ability to hold on to a football when he takes a big, hit. he takes a lot of hits. He takes a lot of hits on the field. Uh, he's, people know he's the guy. Uh, they often has draws the best coverage guy. Sauce Gardner was on him in the Jets game. We've, yep. we've seen other number one type uh, coverage players cover.
1: Was on him in this game.
3: Yeah, so they, that's another one. And you're you're they're, they're they're when they do that, you know, they're they're giving him the ultimate amount of respect as a as a tight end. And Mark, we know is more of a, a, of a a wide receiver as well, but uh, even those guys are not necessarily your biggest guys in either of those cases, either Gardner or Ouzier. Uh, And, you know, there, there are safeties. There might even be some linebackers who are particularly long, like a Tremaine Edmonds or something would, would present some sort of a matchup problem potentially for, for uh, Andrews. But, you know, when other teams have to adjust that much, to get their outside corner into your slot tight end because he's your best receiving target, that's probably a good thing for your offense in general. It means you, you, you can get some kind of a matchup you want for Duvernay. You can get some kind of a matchup you want for Demarcus Robinson right now since it's not Bateman. But I am I am more concerned that um, additional mar- marginal targets for Andrews are not going to have a big payoff to them. That, that I've talked about this a little bit on the show in the past weeks, and I know you weren't here, Michael, but but the that um, – Additional targets that are bailout targets, like Lamar has a fair number for Andrews, end up being of decreasing marginal value. So I, I don't know how to put that into a study because it's very hard to define base targets. And then what's an additional target? Very, very hard to do that. Yeah. But I, it's something I've, I've, I've talked to some of the PFF interns about to see if they can describe it in some way that would make sense in terms of, of, uh, of studying that by team. But there's been a lot of receivers in the past. Michael Crabtree before he came to the Ravens uh, with his last year at the Ravens was Derek Carr's bailout guy. And he ended up having a really crappy uh, catch percentage for the year because he was the guy that, Hey, if he's got man coverage, I'll just put it up for him when I'm getting thrown away and he'll do the best he can. And maybe he won't catch it, but I know he won't give up an interception either. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's it's that's the the sort of the gift and the curse, right? Of being that mm-hmm. guy is that uh, you're gonna get those opportunities, but yeah, some of them are 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 gonna be pretty low quality, uh, and they're expecting you to make chicken salad out of out of, <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs>
3: well, I, 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 Bateman sitting at eleven yards per target, despite the fact he's only caught half the balls this year, is remarkable. Uh, so you know the Ravens need him back. Uh, he is he is a very central piece. I haven't heard anything about how serious the injury is that I can really uh, Sink by teeth into, but he didn't go on IR. So that's something. Yeah. That's
1: a, um, that's
3: a, that's a positive sign. Yeah. Uh, let me pick a player. Uh, at, uh, we've talked about Duvernay enough. So I don't think we need to go back to him. we a little about what Hill means by not being here. I, I, let's go to JK Dobbins. Cause we've talked yeah. about him only briefly. I think, I, you know, it's great to see JK not only making his consecutive bumps to the outside, which we saw in the 17 yard run, And I think we might have seen on another run left as well that that he that he you know had made contact, bumped to the was able to bump to the outside. Also, the great things are the missed tackles. Um, He's he's forcing some missed tackles. The Ravens didn't have pretty much any from their running backs this year so far.
1: Yeah, I think Harbaugh talked about it. You've seen it a couple times actually. For me, it started in the Patriots game, Mm -hmm. right? There was a run. I think it was Julius Peppers. It was to the left side. Julius Peppers was unblocked. Jabril. Oh, Jabril. Julius. The old. Uh, basketball player and uh, Green Bay Packer and Keller was he a Packer? No, he's Carolina Panthers for a long time. Um, anyway, Jabril Peppers unblocked off the left edge and J.K. puts the spin move, the patented J.K. spin move, able to kind of balance, touch with that hand on the ground, keep his balance. That was like the first sign. I was like, okay, he 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 may be back to to where where we 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 last saw him, and then uh, he had a run in this game where I think it was like a ten or eleven, might have been twelve yard run. Um, where there wasn't much there right i think there was immediate penetration in the background uh, in the backfield you had to make a guy miss then make another cut right so you jump cut to get out of the way of that guy then you got to cut back inside to find a crease and get vertical again because you know your momentum is current, you know, carrying you laterally off the jump cut now you got to get going you know vertically again and running then,
3: through the know, maze
1: yeah right or, or like uh it's old uh penn state running back coaches to say run through the smoke I keep making NASCAR. you like, yeah, sometimes you got to drive through the smoke. He's just running back. Sometimes you got to run through the smoke. You got to run through that trash and just get through there. And then I guess he got a little push from the offensive line there. and Probably yep. got like another two or three yards. But that run, that was a really, I mean, the 17-yard run was just clean, right, because mm-hmm. there was a good crease there, and, and he was able to kind of get some space. But to me, that that's, that's a JK type of – the balance, the elusiveness, a little flash of power there at the end to keep the legs turning, drop the pads a little bit. It's just what you've missed when he's not around. Right. These other guys, it's no shade or disrespect to these guys. They're they're solid NFL veteran running backs. They can't do that. Right. They can't do that. And that's just something that you can't you can't draw that up. Right. When you call a run, play, he can make you right. He can take a bad play and make it a good play. And that is just something that is very hard to account for.
3: Great uh great combination of contact balance and power and, and and whatnot. Just the uh and a little bit of speed too. I mean, yeah, let's not yeah. let's not forget about yeah, that. He, to run now. <laughs> kid, he's, he's not gonna run away from a lot of defensive backs, but even we saw you know some of the I won't call it limitations, but we saw Lamarche. But this is one of the big things is that the that the run speeds that are put up there are peak speed. Yeah. And then the question becomes over what thing? And so I asked the AWS people about this directly, and I got a response, which for for, for starters was great. Yeah. And they said It's the peak speed achieved during the run. And and my question, the second part of that question that I already asked was over what minimum period of time? Now, speed is distance over time. So there has to be some unit of time that is a minimum over which they can calculate that thing. And it might be two ticks, whatever that is. That might be two one hundredths of a second. might be two tenths of a second. It might be be one second for for all that matter. So the question is, over what period are they averaging that top speed to find that? And it really matters what the difference is. Because we saw there was a lot of variation on Lamar's long touchdown run in terms of how fast he was running as he went down the field. He did reach top speed. And then he kind of had a piano on his back for about the last 15 yards where, uh, you know, Xavier Howard, I think it was Xavier Howard. I think he yep. likes to be yep, called. Yep. called you know, was catching up to him. And, and if you believe 434, that shouldn't have happened if you if you uh, if you're more reasonable, i more reasonable, i say if if you're like me and you believe that his real speed is something more like four forty five and he's really his his ability to corner like a Ferrari or a Formula One car is what you really get in terms of reading leverage, um, then I think it's easier to see why somebody with more pure long speed would have caught him from behind. but he still he wasn't running anything like what that top speed represented was, which I think was twenty point forty eight uh, at the end of that run.
1: Yeah, and even and even four point three four might have been twenty pounds ago. Yeah, this is this is the bigger engine version. Yep. <laughs>
3: so, there you go,
1: Even then, though, like you said, I, I I don't know that it was it was ever four three. It was always as fast as it needed to be, right? It was it was it was fast enough, and it's still as fast as it needs to be.
3: <laughs> he runs most all of right. the time. He runs in that third gear, and and it's just he's running to make the next next guy miss, and and that's uh, that's all it really takes. Your turn, my friend.
1: All right. Another offensive player. Let's see. We talked about a bunch of guys here. Uh, Who was I? Who was the other guy? We talked about. We said we weren't going to do much more on DuVernay. talked about Lamar. talked about J.K. We talked about. um, I guess I'll I'll talk about Oliver just from, from the blocking standpoint. We touched on him a little bit. Um, so it's not going to be a numbers thing with him. Right. It's not going to be about catches or touchdowns or anything like that. He might, I guess he did have a touchdown short discussion yeah, <laughs> in the Patriots game, but just what he's become as a blocker. And don't get me wrong. Now this is going to this is going to date me with this reference. He's not Mark Brevard. OK, it's not what we're talking about out there. Right. In terms <laughs> in terms of a blocker or for, for people who don't get that reference. He's not prime Nick Boyd right? What, what Nick Boyle was when he was healthy in his prime. He's not that. So don't don't get me wrong here when I talk about how he's improved as a blocker. But you have to put it in the context of what he was when he got here. He was not a run blocker. He's not what he was known to be uh, when he came here from Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And I really think that he's developed that part of the game to the point, like you said, he's their primary run blocker above Nick Boyle. Mm-hmm. They could have Nick Boyle in that role if they chose to. He's healthy enough. They've decided not to, so to me, that's that's a that's a feather in uh, in Josh Oliver's cap, um, and I think for me as I've charted the run game, the thing that I've it's it's been weird because it's gone up and down from week to week, and I think what he's still better at in terms of being a run blocker is blocking on the backside of run plays or getting him in space, marking him, getting him on space against DBs, getting him in space against linebackers using him at the point of attack against defensive ends, still not a strength. Not to say Mm -hmm. he hasn't been, you know, average at it in some cases, but not a strength. And so there's been weeks where they've crafted the run game in a way where they haven't asked him to do that as much. And they've let him do the stuff that he's actually better at in terms of run blocking. And then there've been weeks where they put him back at the point of attack and they're like, Hey, go line up and block this D. And I'm like, that's not, you're banging your head up against the wall there with that. And then this week, they kind of got away from that again a little bit. He didn't have to do it as much. So to me, that's got to be a hard thing to do because you're thinking about Greg Roman and you think about his run game and what he wants to call. And oftentimes, that's what that tight end does, right? Mm-hmm. That's what that U tight end, it's the letter U in, in mm-hmm. his terminology. That's what he does. And if you have a guy who maybe that isn't like his his strength, you got to compensate for that in some kind of way. And I think that they have. So I think that's going to be a dance throughout the season of balancing the stuff that I've had that player traditionally do versus the stuff that this guy is actually good at doing. And how many times can I get him into those positions and kind of mitigate the other ones, or at least do it in a matchup where you're like, okay, this is not ideal, but I think against this particular defensive player, it might be okay. Uh, that's a that's a really delicate dance, and I think he's been pretty good at that uh, thus far. I like, guess it's been a little bit up and down. Um, it was good Patriots, not so good Dolphins, not so good Bills. It was good this week. <laughs> so
3: <laughs> it's just that dance. Okay. Now I, I've got my own opinion of this, but you know he's obviously been on the field a lot more uh, as a run blocker than as a pass blocker this year. In fact, if you look at a combination of run and pass plays, very heavily predominantly uh, run plays have been run when he's been on the field. But, uh, you mentioned not being the guy exactly that you want at the point of attack, and you mean you're really talking about either sealing or kicking out on the edge of the line of scrimmage. Uh, either he, could, he he is a guy who could help, I guess, the the offensive tackle, but that's not typically the way it works to to block on the edge there, right? It's not typically he would not typically be the seal player who's also moving up to hit a scraping linebacker the way I always talk about a, a right tackle down blocking doing. He would yeah. have some – yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, no, I was going to say it It depends on the run, but like say they're kind of standard power play to the side of the guys that are pulling. Like on the back side, obviously those guys are blocking back. You can call it a down block, block back, whatever. Mm-hmm. They're they're blocking to the player the opposite. Of Inside. Them. So you've got pullers coming to the right. They're blocking to the left, right, the down block guys. Mm-hmm. So the guys on the line of scrimmage, and it could be a tackle tight end. A lot of times it is a tackle tight end. They usually are working in combination, right? Those two guys are working together, and one of those guys is coming off to that linebacker. Now, they do it a bunch of different ways. They'll do it with a tackle and Ricard. They've done it with a tackle and Boyle when he was in there. Sometimes, when you had Boyle in his prime, you didn't have to do a combo. You could just have him on the DN, and he could just seal the DN inside, right? As the pullers come around him. Um, but typically, they're working that tackle tight end combo or tight end tight end combo. They've done that this this year. A few times with Andrews and Oliver. It's actually kind of funny to see them trying to do that because neither uh-huh. one of them ends up coming off. They stay on the down guy and they just they move him, but they never come off on the second level. Because I don't think they're, they're sure of, which one of us is supposed to come off here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so to me, when I think about point of attack, it's like, okay, so the run is coming my way, and I've either got to drive a one on one drive block mm-hmm. with the guy in front of me, I just got to move him off the ball. And that can be a, it can end up being at an angle, right? Where I turn him out or I seal him in. It just depends on on which way he wants to go. I pretty much take him where he wants to go and then just try to maintain leverage on him. I don't think he's great at that mm-hmm. against a defensive end body type. Get him up on the second level against linebackers, where he can come off that initial first level block and get to the second level. I think he's okay there. If you want to arc him in space, where those guys kind of do that little bluff thing. They don't actually block the first guy they see. They get in space and block the next guy who's typically the safety or a DB body type. I think he's good at that. And then obviously, on the backside of stuff, he can cut stuff off because uh, he's got enough athleticism to kind of take an angle and cut somebody off on the second level. I think he's fine at that. Uh, but that old school Nick Boyle, going to line you up against Sam Hubbard, you're just going to control Sam Hubbard. It's, it's not, probably not a strength for him. <laughs>
3: I'll tell you what, let's go to a related mailback question since we kind of got to be uh, wrapping up here as well. Uh, but the question comes up, why uh, are the Ravens not using Nick Boyle much? And thanks for Manfred Hanover for at Manfred Hanover for sending that right. one in. I'm very I'm gonna weird. Put,
1: I'm going to put you on the spot. Why do you think? I,
3: I, I, I have my opinion of why I think they're yeah, not. <laughs> I, th- I think you've given it in a lot of ways. It's very good. I mean, regardless of whether Boyle is completely healthy or not, and there have been some indications based on weird injury designations during the week that that, you know, might not be true. I think at this point Boyle is here to be here for the year because they can't cut him without accelerating cap so they can keep him inactive, which might be the correct play at some point if you're going to not use him for any offensive snaps. Uh, but he will; his time is probably done. And Oliver is a year four player. So if you're looking for a quote-unquote surprising early signing, I think Oliver could be the guy. I think they could extend him for two years during the season at a – Low end contact contract, two years three point eight million kind of thing, something that gives them over the vet minimum, but not a lot of money such that you get what you want from a blocking tight end. Um, I think that would but I think the die is cast now that Oliver is the guy they like overboil this year and then next year, uh, they're gonna have to look for a blocking tight end. and Oliver might be that guy. Uh, and that's why I think that that a, that a, that a cheap signing right now would would kind of make a lot of sense there.
1: Now, how do you think that sits? With Boyle. I mean, I know some of this is not really up to him,
3: but to work as hard as he's
1: worked to get back from that injury and then to not have the opportunity to play in the way that he wants to play. That can't feel real good. That can't taste real good.
3: Uh, Of course. I mean, he's he's a competitor. He's an athlete. You know, he's been someone who's always been a very unselfish athlete in terms of his role in this offense. I've never heard one complaint from Nick Boyle about I'm not getting the ball enough. Uh, you know, he may say that to his wife. He's not saying it to anybody else. You know, it's just oh, look. So much more I could do with. I had the football. Well, you know, that might be true, but the, the, what the Ravens got out of Nick Boyle during the three years of his signing was really terrific. Particularly in that 19 season and part of the 20 season before he got hurt, um, it was really terrific. And 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 he was, I think, worth the money entirely in terms of of, of what they got for him. And the ext- the second extension, obviously. I think the indications are there that he's not going to be uh, retained for next year. I don't know actually what the cap implications are, but I believe there's a, there is a savings which they could apply to a player like Oliver in terms of, of trying to find. Of course, they have a lot of places they need to apply that money uh, for next year, given they've spent a lot of it already and have Lamar still to sign. Uh, but but I, in my opinion, um, uh, he probably understands football the business as well as just about any other Raven. Uh, he's made a ton of money playing this game. Uh, and he probably realizes this is kind of the end. And I bet he would love to go out a champion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't say any of that any better. I, I think that answers it. I mean, in my opinion, that answers the question.
3: All right. Let me see if there's one other mailbag question. Then we'll we'll call it a night here. Could we compare the fourth field, fourth down attempt? I think we got it that um, Why is Lamar the primary running back and how long will this continue? Um, I think we will see more effective running from the running backs now that the offensive line is back.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think some of it is, you know, coaches are always going to talk about, well, it's games. You know, you hear John Harbaugh talk about that. We don't have a preset, you know, plan mm-hmm. for who's going to carry and who's going to get that. And so, I think some of that is true. I mean, some of that is probably with Coach B. But I think some of it is true in terms of, you know, I, I don't necessarily know going into a game that we want Lamar to carry the ball this many times. But you look, and we already talked about the end of
3: game situation against the Bengals game. Who who
1: else do you want to have ball? No, in nobody
3: else. I, I, don't want, I don't I don't. even really want the ball in the mesh point other than to, to show it to the opponent. I, I, I don't want the risk of a fumble there. But, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah.
1: So, I mean, I think to some extent, that's why I do believe why they say some of that is like, look, did we intend to give him three or four carries on that last drive going into the game? Hey, we get in this last drive. We're going to get the ball. No, but that's what the situation called for. And, and so that's what they did. But yeah, I think you're right. I think, As J.K. continues to get more snaps, uh, as the offensive line continues to improve, I think Lamar's number probably comes down um, a little bit, just in terms of raw carries. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that's always going to be a good thing, because I think, except for those situations where you need him, like we already talked about, if you can kind of do it a little more selectively throughout a game, that's where you get those runs you talked about before. That's where you get the long run against the Dolphins that's where you get some of these other 40, 50, 60 yard touchdown runs, where you can do that a little bit more selectively because the run game has sort of set it up or the passing Mm -hmm. game has sort of set it up. And now you just sort of like hit them with it. Uh, I think that that can work, can work well that way.
3: Handicap it for me this way. Give me a percentage chance that Lamar leads this team in rushing. Now he's 249 yards ahead. I believe of JK Dobbins at this exact moment, 374 to one twenty-five. uh, There isn't anybody else currently in the picture. Edwards isn't going to come back and do it. Drake isn't going to come back. So it's Dobbins and him for the rushing lead on this team. Hill's not going to come back and do it. Uh, Percentage chance that Dobbins comes back and he he has more yards than – he has 250 more yards than than Lamar the rest of the season.
1: Well, I want him to have more yards than Lamar. But I don't know that I have a real strong belief in that uh, percentage-wise. Not that I don't believe in J.K. I just, Mm -hmm. you know know. I think it's it's going to be hard for them to get away uh from Lamar in that way.
3: Uh this is that JK catches him? Yeah, and I will write down my number and you can see it so I'm not cheating here beforehand. I'm going
1: to I'm going to say uh I'm not going to look at your number yet.
3: Yeah I I'm going to say
1: it. I'm going to say 45%
3: Okay, I, I I don't know if you can see that right up the camera. Twenty five percent. Twenty five. Wow. Okay. Yeah, but, uh, I expected
1: I expected you to be a lot more than
3: me. Yeah. Than okay. You were. Yeah. It's just I, it's a it's a fairly insurmountable lead. I yeah. think in a lot I of ways, Davis would have to take. Oh, of course, and I do too. Yeah. But okay. but he'd have to completely take over as the you know a, a running back who is getting a high percentage of the carries. And you know he's already he's still on a pitch count. It seems. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So far. Yeah. That 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 is definitely the case. Um, you're right. You're right. It's probably closer to the 20%.
3: That's a, we're we're <laughs> just two gamblers, different opinions. That's fine. Uh, Michael, incredible pleasure to talk football with you. And, you know, we've done this for a long time. And and uh, every time we, we get to talk football, I learn something new. I enjoy the conversation. Uh, you know, I get to catch up with an old friend here. And, and I wish we could do this more often during the season.
1: It's always good to be on. It is catch up. It's like it's like homecoming. In a lot of ways, it's like <laughs> people you haven't seen in years and you come back and you get to catch up and talk about things and just, and, you know, enjoy each other's company, have a good conversation, have a good time. Uh, so it's fun to be on. Um, I think we're going to do it at least one more time. It's yeah, well, you're on again in three weeks
3: on the defense, my friend. So we'll okay. see you for that. So, and, so uh, you and maybe we'll find another time for you later in the year if you can if you can swing it.
1: Yeah, you never know. So thanks for having me on. It's been a blast, man. I've I've, I've
3: enjoyed it. All right. Appreciate it. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. If you, if you don't mind giving us a review, uh, you, I'm asking you at the two hour and 50 minute mark. So you are a dedicated fan to have listened for this long in terms of the, <laughs> of the offensive discussion. And, uh, and we'd love you if you could put out a, a, a quick review. That's always does us a lot of good in terms of get coming up on search results and whatnot. Uh, otherwise, Michael, thanks again for coming on my friend.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, thanks for having me on glad to do it. And, uh, Hope that uh, we get to talk about many more wins.
3: We'll talk to you next time on Film Study.